Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests who talk about the games we play. And my guest today is a friend of the show, ShineSpark Parkour Master and co-host of the SideQuesting podcast and host of The Unlockables, Eric Guess. Hey dude. Hey man, definitely uh, false not true about the ShineSpark Parkour right there. <laughs> definitely not. But uh, uh, hey, hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, Dave, thanks for having me on, man. This has been a long time coming. Uh, I'm excited yeah. that we're finally finally able to make it happen after many rude life interrupting. So yeah, thank you yeah. so much. Life gets in the way of podcasting, which is the most important thing happening in all of our lives. So yeah, it's good to have you on after uh, after so long. Um, before we get into our stuff, can you kind of just tell the audience a little bit, what is the side questing podcast and what is the unlockables all about? Definitely. So I run two shows. The first show I started last year with my friend, uh, Tom, AKA red rival 26 as on all his socials, you can find him. And, uh, that was just kind of a random video game topic show that we started just to kind of stay in touch during the pandemic while everything was kind of shut down. Tom and I, both really love talking about games, talking about just random things that we love together. Uh, we both met when we were both trying to do the whole streaming thing a couple of years ago. Obviously, that didn't work out, but we stayed in touch. <laughs> and we've been doing uh, this is actually our second podcast together. We have an earlier first like rendition of that podcast with a couple other people that uh, I will not name because I want it to remain hidden forever for the rest of my life. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we just kind of talk about games and it's a relatively unscripted show about just kind of whatever's happening in the gaming industry or you know we only talk about three games total persona 5 final fantasy 9 maybe some kingdom hearts and then maybe some anime (laughs) thrown in there that's pretty much all you're going to get from that show um and then the unlockables podcast is a new venture that i just launched not too long ago and that's more of a solo project that i've been working on and i haven't really quite figured out what i want that show to be yet but i've been thinking a lot about like just content consumption and the video game industry and games as a whole lately. So I want to use the platform for the unlockables to kind of explore, you know, what that is. And I want it to add meaningful content to the noise that's constantly being thrown out in the internet. Cause every day just <laughs> people are just bombarding you about, Hey, listen to our stuff. But um, I'll read you the official synopsis that I wrote for it. It's the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. So yeah. I want to do a lot of more scripted pieces. I want to have a lot more guests on, which you're definitely going to be showing up on there in a little bit. Yay! And uh, I, it's official <laughs> now because I called you out on the pod, so now you yeah. have to come on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and so that's been that kind of project, and I've been excited to get back to uh, that as well to explore just a, a little bit of other ideas that I've had with that. Sweet. Yeah, and uh, so for everybody listening, uh, both of those shows are things that you should absolutely go check out. Uh, Sidequesting podcast has been running for a little while now, and uh, I listen to that every chance I get. So I really, really enjoy it. Go check out both Sidequesting podcast and The Unlockables. I'm sure you're going to find something you like there. So on today's episode, we are going to be talking about Metroid Dread, which is a 2D uh, let me check the notes here. What genre this is? A uh, Metroidvania game? Oh, hey, how about that? <laughs> how about that? Yeah, it's funny how that works out. Uh, this game was co-developed by Mercury Steam and Nintendo EPD and published by Nintendo in 2021. And an elevator pitch for Metroid Dread, if people are listening and haven't played it or haven't been paying attention to it, is uh, 
hey, it's been like 20 years since we made a new Metroid game. How about a brand new Metroid game? (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much sums it up. And hey, it was supposed to come out like 15 years ago, but it's just coming out now. So (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, just uh, just recently came out after like the development hell of all development hells. Uh, (laughs) Definitely. Before we get into talking about Metroid, uh, Eric, what have you been playing recently other than maybe playing some Metroid? Uh, yeah, so other than Metroid, uh, I've been playing two really big games that I've been trying to get off my backlog. Uh, the first one is Horizon Zero Dawn, mm-hmm. and I've been putting some serious, serious gameplay hours into that. That was a game that I missed when it first came out. I just, it wasn't on my radar, and I just never really got around to picking it up. But when they gave it away for PlayStation Summer of Play for free, the complete edition, I was like, well, that's a snag for sure. That's a no brainer. Yeah. And so I've been really trying to play that one before or I play the sequel, which just came out in February end of February, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's been that's been a good experience. I think I did myself a disservice by waiting so long for it because I feel like some of the steam was taken out of the the sales by just hearing about how amazing that game was and it was just got to the point where it was so overhyped that mm-hmm. I don't think it could live up to any ridiculously high expectations I had for it. Doesn't mean it's not a good game. It's a fantastic game. Uh the open world is beautiful. Aloy is a fantastic character. The story and the messaging behind the game about rogue AI and kind of robots running uh-huh. and taking over the world it is more relevant now with like all the metaverse stuff <laughs> happening. So I've been yeah. like, Oh great. So Mark Zuckerberg is going to kill us all with robots probably. Uh huh. And uh, so I've been playing horizon and then I've been playing one uh, older title on my backlog. I've been diving into final fantasy eight uh, remastered edition on the switch. Ooh, and okay. that's been great because I have a big soft spot in my heart for the PS one era final fantasies, uh, especially nine. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of missed eight growing up i never got around to playing it throughout the years and i was excited to be able to go back and experience that on switch i've been making a concerted effort this year to go back and play some older games on my backlog uh stuff that i kind of missed from the quote-unquote old days uh now that i'm getting older and final fantasy 8 was one of those so i've been working on that as well and that's man going from 7 to 8 is weird Eight's got a weird junction system with magic and you can complete the game at like level three it's 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 bonkers. Yeah. It's nothing I've ever experienced before, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. And it's cool to kind of see the progression of those PS1 era Final Fantasies from 7 to 8 to 9, and then the jump they took into 10 on the PS2. Right. So long-winded, that's what I've been playing. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Uh, so you're enjoying the junction system in 8? Uh, it's definitely unique. It's something that I've never really... It's the most unique system in an rpg to like level up your stats and stuff without actually leveling up that i've personally ever experienced it is super unique yeah yeah uh it it kind of the age on that game show is pretty bad i will admit um Uh but just being able to experience with the junction system has kind of kept me going with that game for sure just to kind of see like what i can do with it uh so that's that's been really cool and okay uh, just i think i appreciate now that I've played all of the PS1 era Final Fantasies, I think I just appreciate them a little more. Uh, have a little more context on them now that I've been playing eight. Yeah, I okay. So I also did like a. I bought all the PS1 Final Fantasy games on the Switch, the remasters, and I played through all three of those. Well, right. I didn't play through all three. Uh, I played through seven and nine a couple years ago, 
and I started up eight and I saw what the junction system was all about and I immediately put it down because it yeah. seems like micromanaging hell uh, for me. And that's the reason I stopped playing Final Fantasy XII also because of what seemed like an insane amount of micromanaging and menus and stuff like that. In Final Fantasy games are all like full of menus and stuff, but these felt especially like I'm going to be spending so much time in this one menu. And I was like, I'll just go play something else. I, I don't want to do this. That's been my experience too. Yeah. There is a lot of micromanaging that takes place in that game, especially uh, it, it kind of inquire, it incorporates like an elemental system too. So you can set it up where like your weapons attacks have different elementals stats right. and they kind of do things against different enemies and so yeah it really wants you to like stop before a big encounter and kind of like revamp your whole thing and experiment with the junction system in different combinations to and yeah i, I encountered the same problem with 12 as well uh i think out of that era of final fantasy i think 12 i, I enjoy 12 a lot for what it is but yeah you could spend hours with that gambit system like crafting the perfect gambits and mm -hmm. you you could just yeah that's it, it, it back in the day, I think I enjoyed that a little more, but now in just how busy my life has become, that's it's it's I want something that respects my time a little more, and that then they these games don't <laughs> really do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, not really. And like a lot of people say that twelve has one of the better stories and cast of characters, and it's like a you know Star Wars type thing, which automatically appeals to me, even though I against my better judgment, it appeals to me. Uh, but the right. the Gambit system and the license board in 12 were too much for me. The same thing happened in 8. And um, Horizon is a game that I really, really enjoyed when I play it, or when I played it a couple years ago. Um, it definitely, like, I didn't hear a whole lot about the game other than the combat before I played it, and I was happy that the combat lived up to the hype that it got, in my opinion. Like, I have a, had a ton of fun uh, playing that game. The open world stuff in that game was pretty bad, I think. Like, there's just not a whole lot out there to, like, see and do. And I get it. It's like a, you know, post-apocalyptic type thing. Like, it's not going to be full of, you know, people to find and stuff like that. But if you're going to have a big, big open world, I, I kind of had just have a lot less tolerance for big, empty open worlds that are open for the sake of being open anymore. Um, but... The uh, backstory was fun to uncover. I'm, I'm kind of going through like all my thoughts on it because I know I'm never going to replay that game to do an episode of the show. So I'm just like <laughs> spilling it all out right now. Um, the backstory was really fun to uncover and the combat was like consistently fun the entire game. So like I like not going to play the new one like Forbidden West. I'm not going to play that right you know, as it's like concurrently in the zeitgeist, but I will play it sometime because I know it's going to be fun. I just need to get around to it. Elden Ring comes first, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was something that really drew me into was the combat because uh, I know if anyone out there has listened to the show before, uh, your boy enjoys hunting large dinosaurs with giant swords in Monster Hunter. And so <laughs> fighting giant robot dinosaurs sometimes uh, definitely, definitely appealed to that. But I agree with that, too, and that's something I found myself as well. I was like, I just kind of opened the map the other day, and I was looking at it, and I was like, man, like, this is like a classic kind of Ubisoft open world. There are just icons splooged all over the screen, uh -huh. uh, half of which seem to be like campfires and machine locations, and then there's a handful of towns, and that's about it. Uh, yeah. 
I think that game controls great. The combat's super fun, but I found uh, your criticisms to be accurate as well, that there just wasn't a lot in the open world. And I'm hoping that Forbidden West kind of fixes that and gives us some more variety of things to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for a a first-time shot by uh, Gorilla, definitely great. But yeah, I don't know if I'd ever come back to it. I'm glad I got to experience it, but yeah, it's enjoyable for, for what it is, definitely. I think I think too. I did I did myself a big disservice, like I said, playing it so late with the hype built up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a problem I ran into with with Undertale, and I played Undertale last year after it'd been out for four years, and just constantly hearing about how great Undertale is. Right. And I played it, and I th- I thought the game had a lot of heart, had a lot of charm. It's a really great game. I just think the bar got set so high for that game. Uh, so similar problem with Horizon. It just there's no possible way I could it could ever live up to the hype that everyone generated around it. Yeah, Undertale's in my backlog, and that's going to be something that I play for the first time probably this year. And nice, it's it's not really fair to the game, but it has it does have all these years of hype. And when I do get around to it, it's it's really hard for me to imagine that it's going to live up to the hype. But I'm trying to keep my mind as open as I can. So. Mm-hmm. We will see how that goes. But uh, for now, let's get into Metroid Dread, shall we? Let's do it. Metroid Dread. We usually get the uh, show started by warning people that there will be a spoiler section at the end of the episode. And uh, Metroid, uh, if you care about the Metroid story, we'll save spoilers for the end. Uh, We will also save, you know, particularly cool bosses or set pieces that are uh, best experienced for the first time unspoiled. We'll save all that for the end of the episode. So no worries if you're worried about spoilers. We also begin the episodes by talking about our personal histories with probably the Metroid series would be a good thing to touch on, but also what made you interested in playing Metroid Dread. So Eric, the guest always goes first. I will kick to you. Yeah, so I was thinking about this today, knowing this is your show format, and my first real experience with Samus as a character wasn't in a Metroid game. It was actually in Super Smash Bros. for the 64. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Until then, I had heard of Samus at all. I didn't know what Metroid was. I didn't know it was a Nintendo franchise until Smash Bros. So I missed out on the first Metroid. I missed out on Super Metroid when they originally came out, although I was only like seven at the time, maybe. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until 2001 when I saw Metroid Fusion in a copy of Nintendo Power, when that was still a thing for all you young kids out there, you know, magazines. (laughs) <laughs> and uh nintendo power fucking ruled i love that dude magazine it was so the, much it was the fucking best i wish i kept all of them because i'm sure they're <laughs> worth money now <laughs> yeah and um so yeah i saw metroid fusion and i was like what is this game that that's really cool and back in the day that was just like starting to be the advent of the internet so you couldn't just run on to like ign or wherever and see about this game that's coming out all the information you got was literally from a magazine so if you saw something that was cool with, with the screenshots on the page, you had to take a chance on it and hope that it was good. So I convinced uh, my parents to get me Metroid Fusion as a Christmas gift one year, and I got it. And that was my first experience to not only the Metroid series, but Metroidvanias as a whole. 
mm-hmm. and uh, come to find out that, you know, Metroid Fusion is regarded as a more linear title in the Metroid, I guess, series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, that game was my first exposure to. I never played Castlevania before. And so Metroid Fusion has always kind of been like my perception was like what a Metroid game is. And it was also around that time, too, that that 2001, like 2003 era of games had a big impact on my life. Some of my favorite favorite games came out around that time. Uh, Metroid Fusion being one of them. Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy IX, Advance Wars. That whole era had a really big mark on me as a kid uh, when I started to understand like what games actually were. And so I played Metroid Fusion. Uh, Metroid Zero Mission, a remake of the original Metroid, came out a little bit after that. Played that one. And those were my only real two experiences with Metroidvanias uh, up until Hollow Knight, which was 15 or 16, I believe. And it wasn't until Hollow Knight that I saw the full potential of what Metroidvanias could be because that game was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Based on your excellent episode on it earlier this year, it was absolutely fantastic. Thank Uh, you, thank you. Yeah, shameless brown nosing on on your show. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, after kind of seeing Hollow Knight and getting the full experience of like what a Metroidvania could be, fast forward to 2021, I see Metroid Dread. I don't know had a soft spot for the character, Samus, and for the games from the GBA era. See Dread, and I'm like, oh, well, that's that's a no-brainer. That's a day one buy for me. And yep. that's kind of like my whole experience with, with the genre, with the games. Uh, so I've, I only ever played two Metroid games before Dread, and... After playing Dread, I did go back and play a little bit of Super Metroid to to experience that because that's the one that the community holds is like the sta- the gold standard for Metroid. And uh, yeah, I've been kind of working through Super Metroid and just you know going back and replaying Dread. Nice. For me, um, I'm the same way as you. My first exposure to Samus as a character was in Smash Brothers, and I had like years of Smash Brothers before I ever played a Metroid game. And my first Metroid game was also Fusion. I don't think I ever beat it when I was a kid, but I definitely played it a lot. Um, and yeah, I uh, I have a really up and down uh, relationship with the Metroid series. Uh, I don't really like Metroid Prime. I played that on the GameCube when it first came out. I didn't really like it that much. I thought it was confusing. Maybe it was because I was, you know, 11 years old or whatever, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it's the game's fault and not my fault. Um, But what I can say is that I don't like Super Metroid that much. Um, I like what it does as a game. I don't like playing it at all. Uh, I think it's real old feeling. And uh, so like in 2021, uh, probably partly because I was kind of excited for Metroid Dread and the promise of a modern Metroid game, I played through Zero Mission uh, for the first time. I played through uh, Fusion again, for the first time since I was a kid, really, really loved those. So it like showed me um, that I do like some Metroid games. I just don't like Super Metroid uh, <laughs> that much, which uh, people listening, if you're a huge, if you're a, um, you know, Super Metroid evangelist, I'm very sorry. I just don't like that game that much. But I was like pretty hyped for Dread. So I bought it the day it came out after a couple, I was kind of worried, you know, like this game was in development for a really long time. And I was kind of worried at what they were showing in the trailers, you know, but when the reviews started coming in and people were like, yeah, this feels good to play. Then I was like, okay, sure. So I bought it. uh, I think the day it came out is one of the few games in 2021 that I bought like on the day it came out. 
And we also, I also like to tell people how long it takes to play the games in this kind of opening section. So for me, uh, they give you a handy little card after you beat the game with your play time and your completion percentage. And I had a 68% completion, which I don't feel like is very high. And it took me 10 hours. So this is not a super long game. And I think that if you were to replay this, actually, I know because I've seen other people's, you know, time cards. If you replay this game, it's going to take way less than your first playthrough uh, because part of this game is getting a handle on how it feels to control now uh, because it's way different from Super Metroid or even the Game Boy Advance ones. Yeah, I think uh, you definitely got a higher percentage completion than I did. I think I was about at 40%. Uh, I okay. clocked in at about seven hours and 56 minutes. So just under that eight hour mark. Uh, okay. But I didn't go back and get a lot of the collectibles because I was just yeah. like, I, I'm like, do I need to do this? Is it is mm-hmm. it absolutely necessary for me to do this? I feel like I'm strong enough to finish the game right now. And really the only rewards that you get for collecting everything are like some JPEG screenshots. And I okay. was like, that's that's not enough incentive for me to go back and, and just try and collect everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I'm definitely I, not a completionist, but like Metroid games in the past have really been about like, you know, you're going to go fight the final boss. You need to make sure you have a certain number of energy tanks and stuff like that. Uh, so you can, you know, they're checking your resources and stuff like that. So I, I kind of got that feeling like I need to uh, go back and... Uh, collect some stuff before I go do the final boss. So I think I spent a few extra hours doing that. So anyway, getting into uh, what makes Metroid uh, Dread special, uh, what stands out, the first thing you're going to notice is that as a modern uh, game, it looks uh, really good, in my opinion. 2D Metroid, and it looks really, really good. And what I really love is how vibrant the colors are uh, when you're playing. You have a lot of uh, metallic environments or like dark cave type environments, and you have a lot of contrast with uh, Samus's suit and uh, the enemies and the missiles and projectiles and stuff like that are all these bright colors. And it, you get this really nice visual um, contrast between the things that you need to pay attention to and then all the background stuff, in my opinion. And I just want to say this was the game that Nintendo was marketing the OLED Switch uh, with in all those commercials. And I bought the OLED Switch uh, while I was playing this. um, And I love it, by the way. It's so good. The screen is amazing. And this game looks incredible on that OLED Switch. But it looks incredible in general. Yeah, I played a, a big chunk of it on uh, docked on my TV, which is a uh, 4K okay. TV. And even though the Switch doesn't do 4K, it still looks really good. It also felt super jarring to be playing a 2D Metroid on like a big TV like that, considering right. they've mostly been relegated to, to handheld. So mm-hmm. so that was uh, definitely a jarring experience. But I, I think, they, like you said, they did a great job of making Samus very colorful so you can see her against the backgrounds. And... Uh, the backgrounds too, even, you know, they have like 3D stuff going on in the background that you can see very yeah. clearly. So yeah, they, they do a great job of just kind of the environment and shading all that and making everything r- really, really pop that, that I think adds a little bit more life to the world. Yeah, it makes, and like there's, like you said, there's like moving stuff in the background of a lot of the levels. It makes it feel like you're in kind of a living environment in a lot of the, you know, uh, sections of the game instead of like 
lifeless tunnels and stuff like that uh, for, for some parts of the game. Sometimes you are in, you know, metallic, lifeless environments, which we'll get into later on. Uh, do you, just a uh, kind of quick aside, do you play your Switch uh, t- on the TV mostly? Not usually. Uh, I, I wanted to see this on the TV, though, just to kind okay. of experience it. That There are certain things that I do prefer to play on the TV, such as uh, Monster Hunter Rise, just because having a bigger screen fighting giant things is always more helpful. But mm-hmm. most of the time, I prefer handheld. I think that's just the optimal way to play the Switch. It's the way I yep. prefer because most of the time when I'm playing it, I'm laying in bed. So yep. that's just that's the best <laughs> way to play it. Yep. That's why I bought the OLED Switch because I play mine like... 99% handheld. The only time I plug it into the TV is if I'm doing Ring Fit. That's about it. Oh, there you go. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So, um, also a key thing about Metroid is the not so much music, even though this game does have music, but sound design in general. I, I think the music is fine and you get a lot of the familiar Metroid themes coming back throughout uh, the game. But really, what I like in this game is the sound design. Um, the kind of cave noises, environmental noises, uh, enemy noises that are coming through. And then um, in the Emmy zones, uh, which we'll talk about, but the Emmys are like the stealth robot zones, uh, well, stealthing around killer robot zones. Um, I really like the sound design in those Emmy arenas. They're really creepy. It's it's quiet, but at the same time, the sound design builds this tension really, really well in those Emmy zones. But throughout the whole uh, game, Metroid games, I think, usually have good sci-fi, lonely sound design, and I think this one also does. I would agree with that. And just, yeah, especially in those Emmy zones, and you know when the Emmys are getting close, you hear, like, the the beat, the unsettling beeps start to go off, and you're just like, oh... Okay, this it's about to get <laughs> it's about to get real now. Yeah, I de- I definitely agree with that. I think the sound design team made great use of all the sounds to create an incredible atmosphere to really make you feel like you're isolated and trapped on this planet. I think that's that, that's one of the core Metroid experiences that you need to have is to hammer home that feeling of isolation. And mm-hmm. they definitely nailed that with, uh, like yep. you said, all the sounds that they did. Uh, as far as the music goes, I, I think the music th- accomplishes what it sets out to. Uh, I just, I didn't find the music in Dread as memorable, I think, as, as some other titles. Like, uh, there are other Metroid titles that have really, really distinct themes in music and ones that stick yeah. in my brain. And really, when I got done with this game, there were no tracks that were just kind of stuck running in my brain, except yep. for like the main Metroid theme that plays kind of like during an important cutscene in the middle of the game. Mm-hmm. So that was my kind of one one gripe about about the sound design. And it is. Oh, God, I'm doing it again. OK, are you ready? <laughs> I'm going to say the I'm going to compare this to Dark Souls. That's fine. <laughs> Take a drink, everybody. Um but no, it's it's the same kind of like lonely feeling through sound design that that Dark Souls gives you. Hollow Knight also did this too, or like Hollow Knight Hollow has Knight. music that plays in the levels, uh, but it's not this big bombastic, super memorable music in a lot of ways. It just kind of like hangs out in the background and uh, sets the environment. And Metroid Dread does that too, but like I don't know, boss fights. Uh, even the main theme when you go into the menu it's not a memorable theme it's this blasting uh you know sounds like a transformers movie or something like that uh in the main menu 
or um, <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. So like it's, yeah, it, it's not a super memorable soundtrack, but the sound design when you're playing it does give you that isolated feeling, which like you said, is really important in Metroid because Samus is always there by herself, basically. And that's so. even a bigger contrast, like you said, and I just thought of this now with when you're walking through those areas and kind of have just that music that's hanging out in the background setting that mm-hmm. tone and then you walk into a boss area and all of a sudden it's just loud and in your face like that contrast really benefits those boss fights i think yeah for sure okay so um are you ready to talk about the metroid story yeah, let's <laughs> see if we can yeah <laughs> i don't know about you like are you into the like overarching metroid story like because this game is a direct sequel to metroid fusion and a direct sequel to the story in that game are you into this like continuing story so i knew the story of fusion pretty well just because i've played fusions so many times and i know the story same with the original metroid story because i played zero mission so many times my knowledge of the lore i've kind of pieced together throughout the years just like watching videos and hearing about these games in the zeitgeist so I know enough about it to where I was like comfortable going into Metroid Dread with and they open the game with like a, a couple cutscenes where they catch you up and say, hey, this is what's happening. This is what an X parasite is. This is what a Metroid is. So they, they pretty right. much kind of remind you. Um, but I didn't really know like the depth of the lore. Like there are like comics and there's a whole background for Samus's like back, like when she was a kid and like what happened to her and like all this other stuff. And I didn't play other M. So I don't know about any of that background stuff. And I don't know right. like much about the galactic government or the galactic federation that's sending her out on these missions, which by the way, the galactic federation is the most inept government in any video game ever. <laughs> they're, they're, absolutely awful at managing crises (laughs) um but yeah i don't i didn't really know like i would say i was familiar with the lore but i'm not an expert at it by no means same and i i don't wish to be an expert in the metroid (laughs) lore uh like when whenever i was playing zero mission or something like that and you start to get into like actual lore of like who these things are and like what they want and like continuing story it's almost the same thing to me as like zelda lore like a zelda timeline or something like that where i don't you brought the timeline up (laughs) i don't care uh and so metroid lore is kind of the same way i can like follow the story between like what happened in fusion and then how it relates to what's happening in dread but i don't really care about the story there are some cool moments throughout the story here but they're more like set piece moments they're not like i'm i'm gonna forget this story in a couple of months after i'm done you know preparing for this recording it's um if you're playing this game for the story if you're hoping that there's going to be a story you're going to take with you for you know the rest of your life like some games will give you i don't think this is that game absolutely not it's I think there are big, like, there are a couple, like, key memorable moments that you will remember just because there there are some really great moments in this story. Which yeah, we'll, I'm some sure of them we'll are cool, discuss. for sure. Yes, uh, but, yeah, you're not going to remember, like, every little detail or care that, like, Samus's parents were, like, murdered and then she was raised by bird people or all this other stuff. Like, you're not... Yeah, that's... You're not really going to care, and yeah, yeah. I, I don't really <laughs> think you should. And I agree with you, too. I think I enjoyed games like Fusion and Zero Mission more going and not having as much background knowledge and, and same with dread because 
part of it is that isolation and part of it too is that mystery you're like well why are these giant bird statues everywhere then why do they have power-ups and what is all this like i think it and it lends an air of mystery to to the experience that i think just kind of benefits from from being like that yeah for sure and like i, I don't want to I'm not trying to say that like story they're trying to have like a really affecting story here and they failed. I think that I think they kind of like back themselves into a corner by having the series go on for so long and they feel like they need to have overarching lore and stuff like that when that's not really the point of Metroid games. The point is that isolation that Samus is on these planets for some reason, you know, it's different in every game why she's there and uh, she has to carry out her mission with all the things that happen, you know, in the process of doing that. So in this game, her mission is uh, as a sequel to Metroid Fusion and the storyline with the X parasites, there's a parasite called X. Uh, (laughs) They can, uh, if I remember correctly, they can like kind of change their form to mimic stuff. Uh, That's one of the things in Metroid Fusion that there was a, an X parasite that, made a copy of Samus, basically, with all of her powers. And that was the big villain, uh, the big bad in Metroid Fusion. Well, at the end of Metroid Fusion, they thought they wiped out all the X-Parasites, but they didn't. Uh, (laughs) There are... Of course not. They have to make a sequel. So, like, surprise, (laughs) there are X-Parasites on this planet named ZDR. And so they dispatch these seven robots that are called Emmys, uh, that is an acronym, and I don't care enough to look at what that actually stands for. <laughs> I thought about um, writing it down, but I was like, ah, I just don't care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Who cares? They're they're called Emmys. They're killer robots. Uh, but those robots went out of contact uh, at some point, so Samus is sent to investigate. And yeah, that's it's really like all the story setup you need. Although there is a cutscene that plays at the beginning of the game um, when Samus first arrives on the planet. So you want to go ahead and uh, kind of finish this story setup up for everybody? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't feel like this is spoiling it too much. So uh, nah. when she arrives on the planet, uh, she's kind of walking around exploring and she's immediately accosted by a, what I can only describe as like, uh, like a, a bird creature in a Samus suit with a gun on its arm. Uh, it, it, it's... <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty metal when you look at it, uh, and she has a fight with this creature, and and of course at this point, like Samus has all of her powers and all of her abilities, and uh, right. this robot bird creature pretty much, uh, for lack of a better term, hands Samus her ass, uh, yeah, and just completely, which which is shocking because we know how powerful Samus is with all of her array of abilities, um, you know, pretty much picks her up one handed and she just blacks out and. When she wakes up and comes to, she has a completely different suit on. She's been stripped of all of her abilities because, of course, it's a Metroid game. I mean, you have to find abilities. Yeah. So They got to take away her... your abilities the beginning of every game. That's right. how it works. And uh, now she's pretty much left to explore this planet and um, her, with her computer AI telling her her primary directive is to just survive and get off the planet. And that's uh-huh. kind of where they just let you loose into the world. Yep. And the uh, the key thing that happens um, is that those Emmys we talked about, those killer killer robots, have been programmed to or reprogrammed to uh, consider Samus as hostile and to take her out whenever you see them. Uh, so that's 
really, I just want to set up the story. We've already gave our opinions on it. The story serves to set up what you're doing in the game. And in my opinion, um, not much else. Although there are some cool set pieces, as we said. We'll save those for the spoiler section uh, so that people can experience those for the first time. And again, sorry if you if you care about the overarching Metroid Chozo lore and stuff like that. I'm happy for you. I personally don't care at all, so I'm not going to go too much into it. Uh, but we brought up how the Emmys are programmed against Samus. So this is the big, the game's major selling point, and what differentiates it from other Metroid games is that while you're playing the game, while you're exploring, you'll go into these special zones uh, where a robot, uh, an Emmy, is. And these are stealth sections, uh, stealth and or kind of runaway platforming challenge sections uh, because Samus can't fight these things. She shoots one in an opening cutscene. It's just kind of like laughs as the, <laughs> you know, lasers bounce off of it. So if they catch you, you have, I think there's two windows to do like a counter uh, to it, but it's really hard to counter, um, like really hard. I would say I did it successfully maybe five times in the whole game. I I did it twice in my playthrough. Okay. And yeah, then it's, uh, subsequent playthrough, again, only twice. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to do this counter. Your window is very small. So basically, just assume that if they catch you, they're going to kill you immediately. Uh, so that counter is more like a, you know, a lucky thing for me. And what you have to do is you'll enter the emmy zone through one door and you need to make your way to the other side without getting caught and they give you some tools uh for the um, emmy stuff they give you like an invisibility thing is the first upgrade you get so that if the emmy is right next to you you can turn on your invisibility but it drains your kind of like energy bar and when the energy bar runs out it drains your health so you can't do it indefinitely and yeah uh Emmys. Eric, what do you think? So I got to say, I I get what they are going for. Like, I, I really do. I understand what they wanted to do. They they wanted to recreate that feeling, or at least this is what I think. They wanted to recreate that feeling they had in Fusions with, um, like you said, the main bad guy in that was an ex-Parasite the SAX. Yeah. And I just remember as a kid playing that game, and when you're like in the shafts and the next screen over, you see the SAX walking around. That was legitimately terrifying. Like I was legitimately scared, and I yeah. that atmosphere infusions always stuck with me for how that game created fear. You know, nineteen years later, you can like cheese the SAX AI pretty bad. It's not that scary anymore. But like at the time, like that was genuinely terrifying, and I think that's what they were trying to create with the Emmys. My first experience with the Emmy, I, I admit, I felt a little bit of that. I was I was terrified and there's kind of this rush and sense of panic when all of a sudden you have to run for your life and simultaneously explore the room to find a way out. And mm -hmm. I thought initially that was really cool. Like the third or fourth time I was kind of over it. I, it, yep. it was just kind of annoying. <laughs> uh, the insta death mechanic with the uh, dot or the counter mechanic that is impossible to nail down. Despite the fact having that have happened to me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, never being able to have a rhythm to it, which I don't know how they mm -hmm. program that. That's incredible. Uh, I just it, it it became 
I started to approach it differently. It, it wasn't so much like a survival thing. Every time I would go into an Emmy zone, I would pause and I would look at the map and it started to kind of become like a puzzle. And I was like, all right, how do I get through this room? Because there are nooks and crannies you can hide in and, and walls you can climb on and things you can do to avoid it and go invisible. So I started to approach it with the mindset of a puzzle more than like this existential threat that's hunting me that I'm terrified of. I was like, oh, this is just like a puzzle for, for me to beat. And mm -hmm. sometimes a really, really annoying puzzle because the gimmick is some of the Emmys give you power-ups. And some of Samus's most iconic power-ups are with these Emmys, such as the Morph Ball or the Speed Boost or... Uh, I believe ice abilities are also with it because I remember one of the most annoying Emmys is one that when it sees you, it just freezes you instantly. And that's uh -huh. super irritating. <laughs> so I get what they were going for. And I, the first couple times, like I, I appreciated it. I thought it was cool. But these Emmy zones are literally smack dab. They, div they literally divide the map in half of whatever zone you're in. And you're yeah. constantly crisscrossing back and forth through them. And that's just, it's just, in a game where you want to keep making progress, it it just is kind of annoying after a while. Yep. Uh, I hate these. Uh, I <laughs> I was with you. Maybe the first time, it was kind of fun. The second time, I was like, okay, this isn't as fun. <laughs> and then I was in full-on these fucking suck mode <laughs> as I went through the game. First of all, the thing I like most about Metroid is exploring. And these make you stop exploring and do these puzzles. Like you said, they're more puzzles than stealth. Um, it's, I think they want you to master manipulating the Emmys in some ways, which is really hard and not very fun, um, and master this map, basically, and figure out the ideal route to go through and stuff like that. Uh, but... I never ever got that good feeling of like learning slowly. The one saving grace from this, because this game, like all Metroid games, has save rooms. Um, the one saving grace is that if an Emmy kills you, you'll start right outside the Emmy room. You don't have to go all the way back to a save room. That's good. Thank you. Uh, thank mm -hmm. you very much for that. But I never got that good feeling where I like tried this, learned it did a little bit better each time. Every time I got through these zones, it was just because like, oh, this time the Emmy randomly, like instead of coming into my room, went into the other room. <laughs> and that's why I got through it this time. I never felt a fun sense of progression uh, through these challenges. I just got lucky most of the time. Also, since these are stealth-based, uh, or at least it's, you'll you'll make the discovery on your own that these are more like puzzles but the game is showing you that these are stealth because it gives you an invisibility thing uh, which is basically useless in my opinion uh, because the emmys will they'll literally just stand right next to you as your magic meter is running out and then you turn it back on and they kill you because you don't want to drain your health all the way down <laughs> um, stealth games in my opinion in order to be good uh, the stealth has to be adequate you know fun to stealth around and whatever in this game whatever it's fine uh but for a stealth game to be fun it has to be fun when you get caught too in my opinion i don't like stealth where it's just instant fail when you get caught which is what this is so like my favorite stealth games like dishonored and mark of the ninja and uh you know stealth adjacent stuff like assassin's creed and ghost of tsushima it's really fun once you get caught and in metroid dread you just die and start over it 
sucks. It really sucks. I hate these so much. Uh, this, these Emmy sections bring this game down like a full letter grade. If I'm giving it a letter grade, I hate them so much. I can see that. <laughs> and, and what you said too is, is an interesting thing. So you said that, you know, they, they introduced this stealth mechanic to you and e- even the computer AI, which is, I call the exposition robot because the computer AI just kind of <laughs> yeah. tells you basically what you're doing and your purpose yep. for existing. The, the the AI makes a, uh, I think it's Adam is his name. Uh, mm-hmm. Adam makes a big point about saying, hey, the stealth suit is like your primary way that like you survive against these things. And yep. so you're right. They're introducing a stealth gameplay mechanic, but the the world is not designed to complement that stealth gameplay or the, the Emmy yeah. cha- the Emmy puzzle is not designed to complement that stealth gameplay very well. So the two pieces almost kind of are in conflict with each other. And it's, yep. it's not, it's, it, it's kind of, kind of jarring at points. And to your point too, the Emmy hitbox is ridiculous. Like there are points where I like tried to like run and like flash shift over them and, and avoid them. But if your toe so much as touches an Emmy like that, that's it. Yeah. Like you're, you're done. They- there's no, if you, there's no mercy. If you touch them, they'll knock you down, and then they'll. I mean, it's a, it's a very cool animation of them killing you. The, yeah. You know, they, there's, they, this big ass like needle out and just jab it into your Super chest. Super brutal. It's, <laughs> it's really brutal. Uh, I like the animation a lot. I just didn't like seeing it four hundred times as <laughs> yeah, I was trying to yeah, go through no. these damn zones. <laughs> um, uh, so like the way that the Emmys work is like eventually you'll get to the other side. You'll have a weird boss fight against an eye. It's a very Metroid uh, boss fight and you'll get this power up called the Omega blaster. And it, I get why it, you can only use it against that Emmy in that zone. You can't take it with you. And I get why they do that because it's like this insane power up. It's more powerful than anything Samus has ever gotten in any other game. And so you need to shoot the Emmy. It'll like crawl toward you. You need to shoot it for like 10 straight seconds to like melt its face armor mm-hmm. off. And then you need to charge up an Omega shot and hit it to kill the Emmy. And that's the only way you can kill them. Um, and these parts were more interesting to me because these made you actually take a look at the level. Cause you do need, like I said, like 10 uninterrupted seconds to get that face armor off. So you do need to look at the level and find an avenue where you can like get yourself that space to do that. So that was kind of interesting. Um, But I thought that that was kind of, you have to hold the control stick at an extremely precise uh, position for 10 straight seconds. And if you move it off, then you have to like loop around and restart. I think that sucked. Um, yeah. So like that actually does reward you for learning the levels, but man, as soon as I like did that, as soon as I killed an Emmy, I think they want you to have this like, fuck yeah, I did it. You're dead. I am the better, you know, I'm better than you. You know, I'm Samus. I'm a badass. They want Mm -hmm. you to have that moment. And instead I got, you know, like, thank fucking God that's over. And I can go back to playing this game the way that I like to play it. It's more like resentful. You're just like, you piece of shit. You caused me, you just caused me so much trouble. And now I'm done. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I I will say, I think, I I think it's cool because something that happens when, like you said, when you, it forces you to look at that puzzle and find a a straight area of the map where you can line the Emmy up as it slowly marches towards you. Thank mm-hmm. God, uh, as it's in its programming to 
be able to kill it. Uh, it. It forces you to look at the map and, you know, find that area. And it does something that only happens during these sequences where the camera shifts to, like, almost this, like, 3D kind of, like, behind Samus kind of view. Which I thought that was pretty cool. But I don't know about you. And I don't know if this is me. I'm going to say it's not me because I think I'm decent at video games. Sure. Trying to line up the those shots to like heat up the face place, the faceplate and blast it off the ME. I thought it was hard mm-hmm. to keep it at that precise angle as it slowly yeah. marched towards you. I, I had yeah, a lot too, of challenge dude. with that. And it sucked. I <laughs> like straight up. I, I think I, I got to say, because the rest of this game feels really good. Like Samus controls really well. Yeah, I, I have to say that I th- I want to say that's just a problem with how shitty the Joy Cons are. Like the Joy Cons are oh. not built for precision. They're they're just not. Uh, I had a little more success with it with the Pro controller, but I think even like in the pantheon of controllers, I, I don't think the Pro controller is that great. Uh, mm. It doesn't really hold a candle to the Dual Sense or the Xbox controller. It's just it, it's a it's a better alternative to a Joy Con for it's, sure. But yeah. Dude, the, the Joy-Cons are just are trash. <laughs> I, yeah, the Joy-Cons well, so are so like, bad. They are. They're the worst. And so like when I play Switch, I play um, handheld, like I said, almost all the time. But I have the Hori split pad um, that are like these big, chunky Joy-Con replacements. Oh, that, like, nice. They're the same size as the Pro Controller, basically just chopped in half, you know? Okay. So, But even with that, those precision like line up the shot things, they sucked. I, okay. They were still fiddly like you know if you imagine you have 360 degrees on your like rotation if you're if you change by like it felt like if you change by like two or three degrees on there it would just start shooting above the you're thing just aiming would, the like, other way <laughs> yeah it it's just ah oh, god they they suck and like all right so <laughs> i like i said before i think these actively make this game worse Every time I went into one of these zones, I was like, oh, God fucking damn it. I have to do this again. And what I'm worried about is Metroid Dread was really successful. So it makes me think there's going to be more 2D Metroid games. And I'm really worried that they're going to be like, Metroid Dread was successful. Let's have more Emmys. Or like, let's do this again. And if they do, I'm going to really like watch what people are talking about when that game releases because I really, really hated this. Like, oh God. It it all right. So you know this game was had some troubled development, right? And they were doing this like Metroid Dread thing for a long time. And it felt like it felt like this is like something they worked on 15 years ago. And then they built the rest of the game around it. And like they are sectioned off from the other parts of the map. Like the Emmys will never come out of their zones and other enemies will never go into the Emmy zones. Really. There's some like mine type enemies in there sometimes, but like it, it feels like two different games that you're playing. And I think these are horrible. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking about the, I have nothing new to say. I think they (laughs) suck really bad. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I would have to agree. I, like I said, I understand what they're trying to do, and I think I think that has a lot to do with the fact that this game was supposed to come out 15 years ago, and so they they had right. the idea where it's like, hey, the thing with the SAX was really cool. Like, let's make that a bigger part of the next game. And mm-hmm. 
I, I just think that that got carried over and made it into the version we see today. I would hope that any future Metroid games uh, just stray away from doing this, right? Because yeah. it, to me, <laughs> and this is the last thing I'll say about it, uh, to me, Metroid is a game about exploring and finding power-ups and, and combat and the map and stuff like that. Like, that's what it's about. And the Emmy sections literally get in the way of that because... Yep. Y- y- you want to have time to meticulously explore, right? That's that's the thing about Metroid is you want to shoot every block on the wall and find the secret nooks and crannies and, and all that stuff. But you can't do that when you're fucking running from your life. <laughs> and that just kind of and trying to figure out how to get through these zones so you can keep doing the thing you want to do, which is explore and yeah. find new parts of the map. And the Emmys literally stop you from doing that. They get in the way of me playing the game that I bought you know i bought this game because i want to play a metroid game exactly and the emmy sections get in the way of that so we have made ourselves abundantly clear how we feel (laughs) i had i had kind of hoped that you would that you liked the emmy sections because i don't think we talked too much about this before recording Mm -hmm. i kind of hope that you would come on here and defend it uh but i'm also just selfishly glad that you agree with me if uh anyone listening really loves the emmy sections please let me know on social media like tell me why what did you like about them because i i really i don't have many redeeming qualities for these at all they look cool and the killing animation is super cool that's all i got so (laughs) agreed we're gonna take a uh we're gonna take a music break and when we come back we'll talk about the good part of the game, which is combat and exploring. Right, so combat and exploring the good parts of a Metroid game. Uh, As Eric said earlier, this game controls really, really well. It feels great to play. The thing that I don't like about Metroid, Super Metroid, is uh, not here. This game feels great. So I didn't play Samus Returns on the 3DS. Did you, dude? I did not. Uh, At the time... I just I got a 3DS super late in its life cycle and that was just basically to play Pokemon. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, same. Uh I got a 3DS like last year and I nice. have uh Samus Returns but I haven't played it yet because a lot of people say it's not very good. So when I'm going through an entire console's, you know, back catalog, that's not going to be the first one I play. So um but similar to Samus Returns and this is great. Uh, you can shoot in any direction. You're not just shooting on, you know, diagonals and up and down. Um, and uh, the melee counter from Samus Returns is back, where an enemy will attack you and it will, I think it will flash with like a yellow light. And that's like your melee uh, counter window. And you can get like a, a nice killing blow. Those are also useful against bosses. And uh, yeah, it's it's really fast. That's the way I would describe Samus's movement in this game. Super fast. Almost too fast sometimes, I felt. Yeah, I think coming from a person that only played Metroid Fusion Zero Mission, 
being able to aim, aim in any direction was kind of mind-blowing to me. I was like, this is not Metroid. This is so weird because normally you've got to <laughs> aim diagonally and just kind of line yourself up. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was awesome. Um, I think it definitely was a much needed and included feature because it just allows for that much more variety of combat encounters. Uh, the counter mm-hmm. the counter feels really great to pull off, even though it is pretty clearly tele- or telegraphed. I was about to say televised, Jesus. And... Uh, <laughs> I th- I think that that's an excellent inclusion. I know that that was one of the big parts of of like you said, Samus Returns. I'm glad they brought that over because that just feels great to pull off, and they they pretty much force you to because it's a big part of not only regular encounters as you're exploring the map, but it's pretty much a significant part of every single boss fight that I could think of. Is yep. there are counterable opportunities where if you pull off that counter, you kind of go into a cutscene and it it's. Samus latches onto the monster's face and just blasts him with missiles or climbs onto the monster, or just does something genuinely badass to uh, kind of give you a leg up in the boss fight. So those are awesome. But yeah, just the game is super fast, especially coming from those GBA Metroids. And especially I went and immediately played Super Metroid after this game. And Super Metroid literally feels like playing with like cinder blocks attached to your feet. It's uh-huh. that much heavier and it just dread feels so great and so fast compared to super metroid it's it's unbelievable mm-hmm. the controls are really precise in this which is something i don't think is true about super metroid mm-hmm. uh n- not to get into a super metroid thing um <laughs> since we're kind of talking about uh combat and uh we brought up the melee counter against uh bosses let's just talk about the boss fights uh of which um okay two statements here uh, or a statement with a qualifier okay i think metroid dread has the best boss fights of any metroid game i've ever played uh however i think metroid boss fights are consistently some of the worst boss fights in <laughs> famous action games that i've ever played uh, i think even the good metroid games that i've the ones i really like like uh, zero mission and fusion i don't think those boss fights are very good like across the board i think they're bad a lot of those get into like unblockable attacks or screens filled with projectiles. And it's not really like, are you good enough to avoid all of it? It's like for the average player, I'm not talking about speed runners here. Um, <laughs> it's like, are, do you, did you pick up enough energy tanks to uh, just like tank some of these things? Or do you, did you pick up enough uh, missile tanks to do enough damage in, you know, the right amount of time? In Metroid Dread, the boss fights are learnable. They have attacks with windups. They have patterns. And that's, I mean, having a lot of energy and having a lot of missiles is still going to be great for you. But in Dread, the boss fights are much more learnable. When you die, you always know, like, okay, I'll look out for that particular attack next time. Whereas in the older games, it was more just like, well, I couldn't have avoided that, and I was low on health, so dead what did you think of the boss fights here the boss fights are a definite step up from earlier metroid games because like you said most earlier metroid game bosses just consist of like a giant thing in the middle of the screen and just projectiles flying at you and the optimal strategy is just to spam missiles and kill it as quickly as possible Uh this game like you said incorporates those learnable strategies so that you know Odds are, probably going into the first time you do a boss fight, you're going to get your ass handed to you. But 
through that experience, you learn the patterns and you learn, hey, these things are avoidable. I need to do this next time. I need to do this next time. And I think that quality really makes these boss fights relatively rewarding. But like you said, this isn't necessarily anything new because this is the first time Metroid's done this and other games have already done this too. Yeah, exactly. really great, Really great effect. I think it's definitely enhances the gameplay of a Metroidvania to have boss fights like that, to have these more cinematic boss fights and i think it lends more credence to samus as a character so like i said you can get these counterable cutscene da- things where you can cause damage th- and samus gets to really show off how much of a badass that she really is and i think yeah. that those do more for her character uh than they necessarily do for the gameplay if, if that makes sense no it it totally does because samus has always been this you know badass character and you you don't really get moments that show you she's a badass except for like, you know, you escape from this planet as it's exploding or something like that in every single Metroid game. But other than that, like you know she's a badass because she's doing badass things even though it doesn't look like that. In Metroid Dread, you see cutscenes and like these, you know, scripted action sequences where she's doing like super badass stuff and she looks really cool doing it. Um, so yeah, I, I do definitely agree with you that it, it helps you see a bit more of her character in that way for sure. Like I just, and I know I don't want to spoil anything, but, uh, I just, the one scene that sticks in my head specifically is when you get to that Kraid boss fight, right. And mm-hmm. she's like standing on the platform, he like <laughs> raises up and she just charges up her beam and slowly walks forward with it. Like just without a care in the world, just like, ah, I've done this before. Like, uh, huh. yeah, just That's why a- saying absolutely badass. That's why saying Kraid is not really a spoiler because Kraid's in every Metroid game. Yeah, so literally. <laughs> so that's why I, p- I picked that one specifically. <laughs> right. And so you said like she walks up like I've done this before because she literally has done this in you every know, other hundreds game. of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. uh, it's like, ah, uh, Kraid, like how are you on this planet? How are you on every planet I go to, Kraid? Dave, there's a lore reason why he's there, I'm okay? Sure. Oh, God. If no. you would read the extended lore, you would know why he's there. I'm clutching my uh, I'm clutching my prayer beads right now, hoping that people are not going to explain the lore reason why Kraid is in every Metroid game. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just get wake um, up with full of angry tweets tomorrow. <laughs> oh God, the Metroid Army! I, I'm sure they're out there. Definitely. Anyway, uh, the boss fights I think are fine in this game. Some of them are, I think are really good. Some of them I think suck really bad, and some of them I think are fine. And so like average amount. This game has average boss fights for an action game. This game has great boss fights for a Metroid game, though, in my opinion. So if you're a big, like, series-long Metroid fan, you're... I don't know. I hope that this is the style of boss fight that you enjoy, because that's the direction they leaned in uh, here for sure. Some of them get really frustrating, because if you're not a 100% completionist, you're going to die in, like, four or five hits, in a lot of these boss fights and there's a lot of attacks. So you, I'm thinking of a couple later in the game in particular where I felt like I basically had to be perfect uh, to survive those fights. And I don't like the feeling of like, sure, I can learn this, but like, you got to let me make, you know, a mistake every now and then. Even like Hollow Knight, not Dark Souls, Hollow Knight, you can, like the bosses are really hard, but you can heal, you can make mistakes Uh, In this game, you can't really heal, and 
you will die in four or five hits. It just feels a little bit frustrating at times. Right. I, I think they incorporate a lot of things about Hollow Knight's bosses that make them great and memorable. Like, for example, the telegraph attacks and patterns that you can learn. But mm-hmm. that game has so much more going for it. Like you said, it has the resource management aspect where, yeah, you can use your magic resource to attack or heal yourself to give yourself an opportunity to make those mistakes and say, hey, like, part of making those mistakes and overcoming the boss is that that's that's a great feeling. It's like, yeah, I still messed up, but I just managed to pull it off. Whereas this, it's like, yeah, it, you get hit two or three times, you're like one sliver away from health, and then you're just on the edge of your seat and just so worried about messing up and having to do it again. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. And yeah, I was truly shocked with, even when I had like seven, eight health tanks, I was just shocked at how fast some things would just shred my health. is is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, we try not to bring up comparisons to other games like all the time, but I said this in the Hollow Knight episode that every Metroidvania, even new Metroids and new Vanias, are basically like being born under the shadow of Hollow Knight and like other really, really good Metroidvanias too. Like I, I think... I don't know, spoiler for my final thoughts, but I don't think Metroid Dread is like even going to be in my top 10 Metroidvanias that I've ever played. Uh, and there's just a lot of things that other games are doing that's a lot more interesting than this kind of like halfway version of like these boss fights made me think of this. Uh, so like they do kind of get into this modern system of like bosses that have attacks that you can learn and patterns and stuff like that. But it just it doesn't feel as good as a lot of these other modern Metroidvanias do, in my opinion. I, w- I would agree with that. And I, I, I was going to say, I was really proud of us for like not having mentioned Hollow Knight as much. I thought that would be a much more... <laughs> I thought that would be a thing we'd do a lot more. Um, yeah. But I, I think you're correct, and that's a, that's a spoiler on some of my final thoughts too, is that, you know, Hollow Knight was so good that it is now the litmus test for all other Metroidvanias, uh, for yeah. for better or worse. It just took everything about the genre and just did it so well. I mean, I know this isn't a Hollow Knight episode, but it just it, yeah. it succeeded in all the aspects of what you'd want in a Metroidvania. It, it checks every single box to such a high degree that anything that comes after it, it it's just how, like... Uh, you know, any game, any hard game that came after Dark Souls is like compared to Dark Souls. It's like any Metroidvania that comes after Hollow Knight is that's going to be the comparison. Yeah. Whereas like, I think the original comparison people were going to make is like comparing those games to Super Metroid or to Symphony of the Night or something like that. But I think both of those games have been dethroned and there's a new litmus test, as you said. As a Metroidvania, nice segue there, huh? As yeah. a Metroidvania, you're going to get your your normal Metroid upgrades, your missiles. You know, these are not spoilers. If you've played a Metroid game, they're basically <laughs> the same thing you get in every game. You're going to get your, mit- your missiles, your speed boost, shine spark, upgrades to your beam, 
Uh, there are a couple things that I haven't seen in a lot of, in at least the Metroid games that I've played. Uh, so you are going to get your, you know, your morph ball bombs, the the basics. And uh, one thing that is cool is that Samus starts out with a, like a running slide move, which in most other Metroid games, Samus starts out with basically run and shoot, and that's it. In this game, you have this slide move, which gets you under low things, uh, but you can't jump, uh, or you can't like use it if it's not at ground level, basically, that thing you're trying to slide through. And this will lock you in certain areas of the map until you find the morph ball, and that's kind of adding in another Metroidvania uh, layer there. All right, so my thing with Metroidvanias, which I'm comparing to some of the newer ones in the genre, is that I like my Metroidvanias to have your upgrades be useful outside of just opening up doors, basically. And in Metroid Dread, you are using them to open up doors, of course, just like every most Metroidvanias. But do you think that these upgrades are useful outside of that specific, like, use missiles to open a green door? (laughs) <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Do you think those are useful outside of those uh, uses? There are certain ones I did feel about that. Uh, that's always been Metroid's big gimmick, right? Is I just need some the kind of different gun to shoot this different color door. That That's always right. been what Metroid's been about. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I feel like the spacing of the power-ups was really well done. Uh, it seems like mm-hmm. you're getting power-ups at a pretty constant rate, I would say, probably... You know, I the game can be done fairly easily in about seven to ten hours. I would say easily every five or ten minutes, you're getting something that affects the way you explore a little bit differently. So I thought the pacing was really good, and just the way they were spaced about the map too was really well. There's a I know we've talked about it, but there's a, a fantastic video by Game Maker's Toolkit that explains mm-hmm. the way that the power ups are are laid out in in in. A, in the level design of Metroid Dread, that's really fantastic. Anyone listening, you should go check it out. It's um, Mark Brown does an amazing job with those. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, apart from shooting do- different color doors, there weren't too many that I found were useful outside of very specific situations. The speed boost is not really useful unless you're trying to speed boost through blocks at least not that i found i know some people are absolutely crazy with that but i suck with the speed boost power <laughs> up i think that and shine sparks are super difficult to do and i can never do them when i hate them uh uh-huh. other which is why you're the up- shine spark parkour master oh god this is so stupid <laughs> um other abilities like uh one of my favorite new additions was the flash shift and I thought the flash shift was great. It was like a, a mini dodge that you're using to like warp to a different part. Uh, I guess it's the best yeah. way I can explain it. And I incorporated that into my moveset pretty heavily. I was using that all the time to dodge around, dodge through bosses, avoid Emmys, get around different parts of the map. I, I, I felt that specific power-up was really well integrated. Um, but just your standard, your standard kind of collection of Metroid power-ups that have been there since the first one... Uh, yeah, other than opening doors and squeezing into tight areas, it do- it doesn't do. Those are the two big ones, really. Uh, one thing, yeah. Um, just to say, in regards to power ups, having played some of these other Metroid games, is this one was a little bit jarring because normally you get the morph ball like pretty much right away, uh, mm-hmm. and in this one they with unless you sequence break, which I'm not smart enough to do that, or haven't we've done a playthrough where I've tried to do that. I know it's possible, but. I 
was having some pretty bad anxiety because you don't get the morph ball for like an hour or two. And and that's like a the early <laughs> quarter of this game, you go without the morph ball. And I hated that because yeah. the morph ball is like such comfort food. It's like, okay, I have the morph ball. Like I can do some things. And I just didn't have it. And there are so many areas I wanted to squeeze into. And I just couldn't do it because I didn't have the morph ball. So them and withholding like... that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting tactic for this game. I kind of like that. Yeah. And you're like, um, okay, uh, every single Metroid game, you get the morph ball right at the beginning. I didn't find it yet. Like, did I miss it? Exactly. You know, I'm, and I like, I slid through that low thing. Did I lock myself in here? Right. You know, um, for sure. The, the one thing that some of the best Metroidvanias do is that your, all of your things are useful for both exploring and combat. And so like Hollow Knight is like the shining example of like most of the things that you pick up are going to be useful in combat in some way, and they're going to be useful in exploring uh, in some way. And I feel like in Metroid, they're either really useful in combat, like missiles and like the, you know, the, the cluster missile and stuff like that. And they're going to be used in very specific situations in exploration, or that you're going to have things like bombs, which are really useful in exploring and never useful in combat and you're going to have either or so i think this is that being said like those things are core to the metroid experience um bombs being used to like check for hidden blocks in the floor and stuff like that Uh, but they're not useful in all applications which is something that other games in the genre that will uh, remain uh, nameless but have the initials hk uh, have started to get me thinking about as i play more and more metroidvanias so uh, but the pacing of them is really good you're right they are spaced out through the game so you're you're always getting a new upgrade every you know 20 to 30 minutes i would say you're getting a new upgrade is something i criticized the messenger for uh, because you stop getting upgrades like a third of the way through that game and it doesn't feel great as a metroidvania type game anyway um go listen to the messenger episode if you want to hear my uh specific thoughts about that it's really good so it is good yeah the game and the episode both yeah Uh, (laughs) um metroid fusion was criticized uh for being too linear uh something that i kind of agree with it is a super linear game metroid fusion this uh, this game is a bit more open. It's a bit less... Uh, it's not as open as the older games in the series, but it's more open than Fusion. And so what they'll do is, first of all, the map is segregated into distinct sections, and you you have to ride an elevator or a train to get from section to section. So they're, like, completely separated. It's not like the... Uh, well, I guess that's always been in Metroid games. They're usually like that. It's not like some others in the genre with HK initials mm-hmm. or like Death's Gambit or something where the map is fully uh, connected. Mm. And what uh, Dread does is it will often lock you off from a part of the map. Uh, the whole thing will get frozen over and doors will be frozen shut or you'll go through a one-way door and now you're in this new section. So I think it's broken up into many linear sections and you will get to a point at certain points through the game where the whole thing is open to you and 
Um, I don't know. Are you when you play Metroidvanias? Do you val do you really value nonlinearity as like a core thing of the genre? Uh, I I think so. My my first experience, like I said, was Metroid Fusion, and I just kind of always thought that that's the way Metroid games were because that game and Zero Mission put a flashing icon on the map and say, "Hey, you're supposed to go here." So yeah. it's it's very clear at all times where you're supposed to go. Uh, like you said, Metroid Dread does a really good job of, hey, when you slide through this area, the wall collapses behind you. And now you're you're trapped in these mini linear segments until you find the power up you need to advance. And I think that's a great trick that Mercury Steam uses to, you know, trick you into thinking you're on a linear adventure, but it's actually a lot more open than you you realize. You never feel like you're just being taken on a tour. You still feel like you're exploring, but they use these things to subtly nudge you along in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And like I said, as I've been getting... When I played Hollow Knight a few years ago, I, I enjoyed... I loved Hollow Knight's openness and just the ability to go anywhere and explore anything anytime. As I've been thinking about Metroid Dread and as I've been getting older, I kind of enjoy the way that they did that because, like I said, it respects my time a little more. And it mm-hmm. gives you that sense and that feeling, that satisfaction of exploration, but still having these micro, like you said, linear areas to kind of just nudge you subtly in the right direction to the point where you'll always end up where you need to be because you'll inadvertently know, hey, I've stumbled into one of these locked off sessions. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. So I, I, I kind of like that. And to me, I, I wasn't the person that played Super Metroid first, so I don't need to have this once I get a certain number of power-ups, like, I can literally go anywhere on the map at any time and, and explore in any order. Uh, that, to me, is a little more overwhelming than the way Dread did it. In Dread, you, you do get this, like, false feeling that the game is super linear, I think. It's not as linear as it looks like it is, but for the most part, I agree that you are... Nor- Even if you are kind of blindly stumbling ahead or just exploring, you you will find uh, the place where you're supposed to go most of the time. Most of the time. There were parts where I was very frustrated because, like, I felt like I got a new power-up, and I was like, okay, I got the super missile. I can open green doors now. I can't find any green doors that take me to where I need to go. And there was one place in particular uh, where I had to go look in a guide for, like, I had just gotten the speed boost, Um, and I was like, I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. And it was one of those classic Metroid things where you just needed to shoot these blocks, shoot every block on the wall. Yeah. And I, you know, that's part of Metroid is like (laughs) when you're stuck, start bombing floors, start shooting walls. I don't think that's very interesting though. And as a, another thing that hollow Knight did really well keep making that comparison i'm very sorry to everybody but like the (laughs) it's the comparison is because in hollow knight and a lot of other really good metroidvania games when you get that super missile or you get that double jump you are immediately like oh i remember those three places where i needed a double jump or like the one i always use the examples are like when you get the ground pound in hollow knight you're like, I remember two rooms that I needed that ground pound. I'm going to go straight to those rooms and use it and see what happens. And I never got that, like, that, like, memory, you know, in Dread. 
The good thing Dread does, though, is they mark doors on your map with like what kind of door it is. So when you pick up the super missile, you you can just look at the map and see like, okay, green door here, green door here, green door here. I'll go check those out. So I guess it wasn't as natural as some other uh, games in the genre. I did get lost. I did get stuck. I did have to check guides. I don't think the signposting is great for like where you need to go next sometimes even though like the I've actually seen other people uh get dunked on for this on Twitter where people are like or like on uh, Reddit or something where people are like it's a Metroid game just you know shoot all the blocks and <laughs> you're just supposed I get to know it, but the, yeah that that's not it's just not super like I don't think that's a great way to like hide the path forward behind just like, oh, you were shooting all the blocks in this room and you went into this room and didn't shoot all the blocks, but this is the room where you had to do it. So you got lost. I don't think that's great. That was my experience with um, moving forward, but that only happened a few times. It's not like this was every 15 minutes or something. And just because that's the way it's always been doesn't excuse it it'd be like oh well it's metroid that's the way it's always been it's like yeah but yeah you know we've advanced quite a bit since the last especially in this genre yes especially in this genre so uh, there's definitely better ways they could go about communicating that for sure like i said i get that that's part of that and that was what the one thing that i brought to this game in my metroid knowledge was just hey i just if i'm in a room i'm like constantly shooting at every single angle just to see if i something pops up but uh i think you brought up a good point too is that the map the map in Dread is the most detailed Metroid map ever. If you, I know you've played the older GBA games where it's just, hey, there's pink rectangles and they're, it's just a map of quadrilaterals that glow and you can't really like distinguish like what different rooms are and stuff. I think yeah. that's, <laughs> I think Dread does a great job of that. The, the doors are very easily color coded. So I always knew if I was stuck to just try and find like, a door or something with a color that I hadn't tried yet that I could access. And I think that 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 definitely helped me not be... I think, like you said, too, there's maybe, like, one section where I was, like, I just have no idea what to do next and just got to figure out, yeah. like, what to do. But for the most part, it's definitely more friendly than Super Metroid, for sure. And And when I say, like... I hit a point where I didn't know what to do and I got frustrated. I don't mean like I looked for five minutes and I was like, oh, I I don't know where to go. I mean, like I went through the available area of the map several times and couldn't find the way to progress. Right. And that's just not a great, not a great feeling, even in a game where you're, where they kind of want you to feel a little bit lost and a little bit overwhelmed, like going through the, making a pass through the map one time and feeling that way is kind of the intended experience. But like, I don't know, hidden blocks in the wall is not, not a great way to hide the path forward in my opinion. And there's a couple sections in super Metroid where it's like, you know, the main path forward is to bomb this one stupid block (laughs) in this room. And like, I I, I thought that was terrible. (laughs) I did it. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned sequence breaking. Um, You said you've never uh, successfully done a sequence break, right? Yeah, I've I've just never... I've watched videos and seen them done, so I I know where they can occur. I I just didn't go back and and do it, but I know that's... 
that's a big thing for Metroid games is being able to sequence break, right? It's be able to get yeah. power-ups out of order. And when, yep. when I first played through this game, and again, I am not a seasoned Metroid veteran, I very right. <laughs> foolishly made the proclamation on, on my podcast, and I said, this is a more linear Metroid game because you can't sequence break. And then like three days later, they discovered like 19 places you can se- sequence break. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, such is the early React world of podcasting. You get proven wrong sometimes. Sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that they kept that tradition alive here because yeah you can get the more fallen bombs out of order uh some people theorize you can like get the gravity suit super early which is like something you get way later in the game and yeah just to i I can't imagine what that must be like to design something with all those anticipations of the way people will try and break your game and there have been some ways Mm -hmm. that people have broken the game that mercury team came out and said like we didn't even know you could do that and people have done it so i think that's a really one of the most exciting parts of metroid yeah, I I don't sequence break. I'm like frankly, I'm terrified that if I sequence break cuz I'm I'm not great at these games and I'm like I'm going to sequence break into a much more difficult area and then I'm just going to like get my shit kicked in Same. consistently cuz I'm not powered up the way that the game wants me to be powered up Same. at this part. So I don't I don't even try I don't try to sequence break and I also never saw a spot where I thought like, "Hey, I wonder if I can get up there and like did some super creative shit that sequence breakers have to do. I never did that. If there's uh, anyone listening who likes to sequence break, you can in Metroid Dread. It's just apparently not for either of us, um, yeah. but it is possible. You can do it. I think it's more for the speedrunning community because yeah. I-, I don't know if you personally have ever seen Metroid speedruns. I'm assuming you probably have because you've I've seen some, yeah, Super Metroid speedruns are pretty interesting to me. <laughs> Man, those guys talk about people. I mean, whenever I watch speedruns, I just feel like I'm bad at video games. I just sure, yeah. People, people do incredible things, and speedrunning is definitely one of the most underappreciated communities in all of gaming because those guys are absolutely insane. So just to see some of these people. Uh, like sequence break the game and do it be like oh yeah but if you get like these 17 things out of order it's actually way faster than doing it the way the game is normally designed that just that that blows my mind i think that's awesome yeah so i haven't watched a metroid dread speed run but like we said this game took me 10 hours to beat it took you around seven i am sure that a speed run of metroid dread would be really fast because of all the sequence breaking possibilities and the fact that the boss fights are more skill based, I think. Even though, like a Super Metroid speed run is like like twenty minutes long at this point, so stupid. <laughs> you know, I think the world record for Dread right now, uh, I think it's an hour ten. Last I checked, okay, which is is really fast. And those guys who have those hour ten times were saying, as the game stands right now, there there's no faster way that they know. I'm sure they'll be as this game ages, like games do, they'll find different ways to do things. And mm-hmm. this game's been out, what, like four months? So within four months, the yeah. Metroid speedrunning community is like, we've taken this game as we know it to its physical limit. Now we just have to see if we can find other things. That's e- even like the day after it was out, like there were like already sub two hour runs. And I was just like, what? Like, it, how? How? <laughs> it's <laughs> People buy the game. They don't really play it the way that it's intended to be played. <laughs> and they just immediately start speedrunning. Right. Um, Insane. It's. I've kind of gotten that feeling sometimes watching speedruns because I 
I don't watch a ton, but I do like a good Dark Souls, Bloodborne speed run. And those, watching them just destroy the bosses in those games makes me feel like uh, very inadequate with my own skills. But then I remember that like they're not really playing the same game that I am. You know, They're doing it in a totally different way. Right. So they're 60 chess war playing checkers essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the final thing to touch on as far as like this as a Metroidvania is that exploring in Metroidvanias should feel awesome. Um, if your Metroidvania does not make me feel good for exploring, then I, it's like a, a huge demerit for that kind of game. Um, I think the exploring in dread is pretty good and it's mostly puzzle based with like, you know, different upgrades or shine spark challenges, uh, which are very hard. Uh, I, I never did those, but the other ones where you're using your cluster missiles or using bombs to like bounce yourself around and stuff like that. I think those are pretty good. And, um, the key thing for exploring in these games is that the things you find have to be worthwhile. It have to be worth that effort. And, I think in Metroid, the things that you find, like energy tanks or uh, finding missile upgrades and stuff like that, those are very uh, cool to find. Every time you find something like that, it always feels good, in my opinion. I would agree with that. And for me, too, the other half of it was, is it rewarding to find these things in the environment? Uh, For me, a big part of it is, is the environment fun to move around in? And I think that Mercury Steam did a great job of, like you said, we touched on this earlier, Samus is fast, her respo- her controls are fairly responsive, so moving mm-hmm. around this environment while combating all the enemies in it just, just feels really good and feels really fun to be jumping up ledges and grabbing on with the, the magnet claw and doing all this other stuff. Like it just It feels really good and really fun to just explore the map and then on top of getting your traditional power-ups rewards and missile tanks and all that stuff like there's constant rewards and constant good feelings to keep pushing you through this game because it's just it's it's fun to play and it's fun to do that exploration aspect of the metroidvania for sure and they do a cool thing too where like a lot of the rewards for exploring will be like you'll go into a room and you'll see the energy tank but it's like way out of reach and so you think like i need to come into this room from a different you know area or I need to do some sort of like figuring out hidden blocks or something like that to get to this. And a lot of times you'll see the upgrade, but you won't be able to access it until you get like two more power-ups later on. And then you can kind of, they mark those on your map too, uh, things you found but haven't uh, collected. So you'll be able to like remember, you know, okay, I have the uh, I have the ability to bomb jump now so let me look back at the map and try to remember like okay here's a room with an energy tank maybe i can use the bomb jump to get that energy tank now they do a good thing of like planting those seeds as you're playing the game of like upgrades to like go back once you have those abilities that's i mean that's like a key thing in metroidvania right you get these upgrades and that allows you to go back through the level before and get some of those things that you couldn't reach before and i think uh, this game's really good with that in particular something i appreciate they do too is again with the whole respecting my time aspect is uh if you're in a section of the map where there is like a reward or a missile tank or something and you leave that section of the map 
the map will flash when you pause it to alert you and say, hey, there's a missing item here. You missed it. So you know the areas you have to go back to. And mm-hmm. I understand that's not traditional Metroid. It's not blasting every single block in the wall to make sure I didn't get miss a missile tank or anything. But the fact that you're just telling me generally about where it is, now I at least know where I have to shoot the walls for a missile tank to be. At least I know the general area it is instead of just blindly firing on all these random tunnels. So uh, I really appreciate just that little quality of life improvement when it comes to the collectibles. Yeah, for sure. Quality of life is good. Like, I don't don't ever want to be a purist, um, even in the series that I really love, like, uh, Dark Souls or Pokemon and stuff like that. Like I appreciate quality of life stuff that they introduce in those games. If I, Eric, if I ever uh, say something like, "Oh, they, you know, Silk Song came out and they did this quality of life thing that is not the same as it was in Hollow Knight," <laughs> just come over and slap me, okay? I know it's a long airplane ride, but just come slap me, okay? I'll do it. It'd be <laughs> worth it. <laughs> okay, appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that is. Uh, the metroidvania aspect of metroid dread anything else you want to highlight before we get into kind of final thoughts no i am ready to get into final thoughts right on well we will listen to some more metroid music and then we'll get into our final thoughts in summary okay so guest always goes first giving our final thoughts do we recommend things like that maybe for newcomers uh, or longtime fans of the series so eric what do you want people to know about Metroid Dread. So, yeah, I've spent a decent amount of time thinking about this game. And uh, just right off the top, uh, whether you're an old fan or or a newcomer, I think you should play this game. I think it's one of the better titles on the Switch for sure. Uh, And it's it's, it's a great Switch game to, to just lay down and play handheld. I think you should definitely play it. The biggest gripe I think I see about this game just overall in general from the community and on Twitter and stuff uh, is that this game isn't Super Metroid. That That's the biggest thing that people say. It's like, well, it's not Super Metroid, and it doesn't do what Super Metroid does in delivering atmosphere and isolation and stuff. And I, I, I get that. I understand that in the Metroid community and in gaming at large, like, in recent years, Super Metroid has been very favorably looked upon as, like, the de facto Metroid experience. And I mm-hmm. I get and I respect, like, what that game did at the time, when Super Metroid came out, there was nothing like it. That was that was incredible for for at the time. Um, this game also has to contend with the legacy of Hollow Knight, uh, which, in my opinion, like we talked about, uh, set the standard for Metroidvanias going forward. It, it's the the bar that every Metroidvania now has to now has to cross. So I find myself in this weird kind of position where. I'm telling people online that this game doesn't have to be Super Metroid. It just, it doesn't. Super Metroid is Super Metroid. This game deserves to be its own interpretation of what Metroid is. I I, I very much think so. And and I think that's fine. Uh, games are allowed to be what they are. They shouldn't be tied to something that is in their past. And I think that's, like I said, I think Super Metroid is great for what it did for, for this genre. Um, but Metroid Dread is doesn't deserve to live in Super Metroid's shadow. The flip side of me, though, says it <laughs> is living in Hollow Knight's shadow because Hollow Knight right. is such an exceptional title. So 
uh, half of me is saying don't compare this to a game. The other half of me is saying you have to compare it to a game. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. that's kind of the battle I've been fighting with myself. Um, Metroid games have never sold well for Nintendo. They are not, despite being really good, they, it's it, Mario and Zelda and all of Nintendo's other franchises just sell circles around Metroid, which is unfortunate because I think Metroid deserves more recognition than what it gets. This game released the way it was because A, it was originally conceived in 2005, and two, I think that this game is the way it is because it has to be. If Nintendo was to make just a ball-crushingly like Super Metroid game style game, I don't think the younger generation, the people that play Switch a lot now, would like that. And if your goal is to get more people on board with Metroid... I think this is definitely a softer experience to get people on board with Metroid and to get people into the Metroidvania to those harder games like Hollow Knight. And for Nintendo 2 to put out a game that hasn't really been financially successful for them as Mario and Zelda to take resources away from that, you have to put out a game that's going to sell well. And, and, and that's what they did. That's what they did. And... I think looking back, Metroid Dread, I think, is a success for the Switch for Metroid. Um, in the pantheon of Metroidvanias, it doesn't reach Hollow Knight status. It just doesn't. But I think it's a success, and it wraps up the story in a way that I think Nintendo can kind of go in whatever direction they want with Metroid now. And it's kind of free from that 35-year history of Metroid that they can kind of do whatever they want with it now. And that's great. And I think, yeah, like you said, barring the Emmys, I think that if more Metroid games come out, I'll definitely keep playing more Metroid games. I'm excited to see what they can do in the future. Yeah. I, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't like the idea that some people have where they're like, you know, this game is not super Metroid. Therefore it's bad. Mm -hmm. I think that's a shitty position to take for any game in a you know long running series maybe there's not 75 metroid games like there are 75 zelda and mario games but like there's five nobody is <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like nobody is saying that like um you know breath of the wild is bad because it's not ocarina of time uh which is another game that was very well, very some uh, people well say received <laughs> and influential and things like that uh i mean okay uh, yeah anyway <laughs> I was gonna uh, I was gonna say something inflammatory there, but I'm not going to <laughs> start um, fights on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the uh, the the idea that Metroid Dread is bad because it's not Super Metroid is a really shitty position to take. And frankly, I like this game more than Super Metroid uh, because I it's really fun to play. It's fun to control. It's fun to like go around and explore. The controls are great. Um, the boss fights are fun at times, which is something that. Metroid games, I would have never said a boss in Zero Mission is fun. Uh, some of the bosses in Dread are fun. And I had a good time exploring. And I think that this game nails a lot of that stuff. You get those good feelings that a Metroidvania game should give you. Um, I hate the Emmys. And I will not sugarcoat how much I hate them. <laughs> Uh, at all i think they're terrible and like we said earlier in the episode and i agree with what you said metroid dread 2 or the next version of metroid because this game did sell well there's going to be you know more metroid games i am very worried that they're going to think that the emmys are a reason for that when 
in reality, the reason that people like it is because this is a well-made Metroid game. Um, yeah, I'm very concerned that they'll come out and say, oops, all Emmys, you know, in the next game. And that's going to be a game that I will uh, hate unless they <laughs> iterate and make them more fun mm-hmm. um, to play. So I'm kind of conflicted on like where this game is in the Metroidvania pantheon. I don't think it's in my top five. Um, it's not my favorite Metroid game. I guess it would be in my top three Metroid games by default, although I am going to play AM2R, which is the Metroid 2 remake, uh, the the fan-made remake, which I hear is fantastic. I've heard that's great too. Yeah, if it's as good as people say it is, it's going to kick Dread out of the top three Metroid <laughs> games uh, for me. So this game is fun. I would ordinarily say, like, wait for a sale, but this is Nintendo, so you throw that shit out the window. It'll never Um, go on sale. Play this game if you're... (laughs) Absolutely never. Um, We're starting to see Breath of the Wild go on sale for $40 sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) Can I say something about regards to that, too? Um, Something that really bothers me, just to wrap up final thoughts. Uh, Yeah, yeah. The argument, and this is going into a completely different argument. One of the main other criticisms I saw about this game is oh, this is a 2D game? That's not worth $60. Oh, fuck that. That's a shitty way to value a video game. Or, oh, this game can be beaten in less than 10 hours? That's not worth $60. That line of thinking is completely wrong and flawed. And that's not an excuse to not not get this game. Uh, I think, if you're interested enough, I I think this is worth $60. This is better than a lot of games that are currently $60. Uh, you know, a lot of AAA releases that are $60. So if you think that way, uh, I love you, but you're stupid. Yeah. Not to be inflammatory <laughs> on your podcast, sorry, but I think that's just a really crappy line of thinking. And that was there was no, a I, lot of that around this game when it came out. Was there? That's very disappointing because that's a very shitty uh, way to value games. Yeah. I would pay, if Hollow Knight Silksong comes out and it's $60, I will pay $60, you know, right there day and date like as soon as it comes out agreed uh valuing games that way is totally shitty Mm -hmm. for sure um yeah yeah i i mean i i paid 60 bucks for this i'm not mad that i paid 60 dollars for it i had not at all you know i played for 10 hours and i spent about two hours in emmy zones and i hated my life (laughs) during those but the rest of the time i had a good time uh playing this game and i know i've said a lot of negative things and compared this unfavorably to a lot of other standout games but this is a fun game i mean i I do think this is a good game it's you know i i also kind of get the feeling that like they had been working on this for so long and they they probably already had some of these things built already emmy zones or something like that and they were like let's piece this together let's get this released in a good working fashion starting from you know starting from zero or starting from iterating on things in this game for Metroid Dread 2 or whatever the next one in the series will be, I I do, I am kind of optimistic that it will be more cohesive than Metroid Dread was uh, because you have to assume the next game is not going to be in development hell for 15 years, although Metroid Prime 4 is also in development hell, so maybe it's just this is a cursed franchise. They restarted that game. <laughs> so, it was so bad that they said we're starting over. So <laughs> Yeah, that's uh that's 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 rough. Maybe this franchise is cursed and we're just gonna continue to get games that are, 
you know, that take 15 years to develop. So I think on the 2D anyway, side, Mercury Steam's yeah, got go that ahead. figured out. So hopefully, yeah, moving forward, not having to be tethered to a 15-year game, uh, I'd be optimistic for the next iteration of whatever Samus or Metroid game is, is going to be. Just please, uh, Mercury Steam CEO, I know you're a big fan of the podcast. Please, no Emmys. Just please, I'm begging you. I'm, you can't see me, but I'm on my hands and knees right now. Uh, please. I took the mic down to the floor with me. Please, no Emmys. <laughs> Agreed. Um, before we get into spoilers, let's, uh, let's do a little housekeeping. So if you're going to tap out now because you don't want spoilers for Metroid Dread, the spoiler section here is, I think it's going to be pretty slight because we're not going to spend an hour talking about story, which is where the long spoiler (laughs) sections come from. Um, But if you're going to tap out now, go play this game. It's not super long. Um, Thank you for listening. And if you would like to support Tales from the Backlog, please subscribe on your platform of choice. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, and leave a five-star review. That will help me fight the... um, the algorithm think of the algorithm as one giant uh emmy (laughs) that will help me fight it and um that was a horrible joke but i'm gonna leave it in the show i liked it so uh spread the good word that's the other thing you can do spread the word share the episodes when they launch talk to me on social media you'll find links to social media pages in the show notes uh eric one more time tell people where they can find uh your social media and side questing and unlockable stuff uh yeah so i uh my name is eric i host the uh, side questing podcast and the unlockables podcast and uh, you can find those on all of your favorite podcatchers wherever they are you know the good ones apple spotify google stitcher all you know all those good ones uh my socials you can find me on twitter uh my personal twitter is at the one true sire that's where i do most of my tweeting about just games and just weird stuff in general and football from time to time. If you're a sports person, uh, we have, you can follow the podcast, uh, pod side quest is on Twitter. Uh, unlockables pod is also on Twitter. And then, um, as far as where I'm most available, uh, I do most of my talking and shout outs and stuff on Instagram. So side questing podcast on Instagram. And I don't, know if i have one set up for the unlockables podcast yet i think i might i think it might just be unlockables pod uh but yeah just search that see uh, just search the unlockable podcast and and you'll find it i have a joystick with a logo and it has like a keyhole on it so that's probably the best way i haven't done a lot with that one yet but uh that will be coming as i do more episodes with that so yeah and i'll put um links to all those social media things in the show notes as well and, uh, oh, I also do a podcast called a top three podcast. Always have to mention that yeah. where each episode we pick our top threes in a certain category and then we, uh, say our lists and, um, rip on each other and stuff like that. It's me and my three best friends from high school in there. So, uh, we have, uh, we have the chemistry that 20 plus years of friendship will give, uh, with that kind of stuff. So check out a top three podcast as well. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have spoiler talk for Metroid Dread.
All right, I'm back with Eric talking about spoilers for Metroid Dread. And uh, the first kind of spoiler question I want to ask you is someone who's played other Metroid games, there's no Ridley in this game at all. And how do you feel about that? Did you miss Ridley? I, I no. I I'll be honest, I didn't. <laughs> I don't it, it, by the time I got to the end of the game, I didn't even remember like Ridley was a thing. And then I saw on Twitter someone's yeah. like there's no Ridley in this game and I was like, "Oh, there's not." And I just moved on with my life. I, <laughs> yeah. I would say it wasn't that big of a deal. He kept finding ways to come back after he died, which I'm sure there's a lore reason behind that too, same with Kraid, but yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> So when I saw Kraid, I got in my head, I was like, okay, Kraid, right, of course, they're going to bring back all the the regular bosses. When I saw Kraid, I was like, okay, Ridley's going to be the final boss or the penultimate boss or something like that. And then I got to the end of the game and I was like, oh, okay, no Ridley. Well, moving on. Right, exactly. I, I don't, <laughs> like I said, I, I didn't really care. I do think it's interesting, though, that they didn't include Ridley, who is like, more memorable than Kraid, certainly more popular among like general video game things. I mean, Ridley's in Smash Brothers Kraid's not in doing Smash stuff Bros. <laughs> and Kraid's not in Smash. So yeah, I, I don't know. Like that was something I noticed, but not something I super care about. Again, I don't really care about Metroid lore and story too much. It's not like, it's not like Ridley has this unescapable personality that I need in a Metroid game. You know, he's just a big fucking like, you know, pterodactyl thing. <laughs> I would say in the pantheon of memorable Nintendo villains, Bowser and Ganon, uh, I just, I don't put Ridley up there with them. I just, I mean, you're right. He's a giant pterodactyl, essentially. Yeah. Sometimes a robot pterodactyl uh, just depends yeah. on what day you catch him, I guess. <laughs> I'm well, okay. So the one thing that would have been cool is that like the way that they made boss fights in this game, I think a Ridley boss fight in this game would have been cool. Like, the spectacle of it would have been really cool. But did I miss him? No, not really. Would have been cool to do, like, a secret, maybe, like, a side, like, hidden boss, maybe. Just, so, like, not impact on the story, just, like, toss it in there. Or maybe, like, on hard yeah. mode or something, just kind of toss it in there for, like, fan service. But it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So where do we even go with a spoiler thing for this? Cause I don't care about the story at all. Uh, I guess like the, the big moment in the story is this, uh, villain that they've been calling Raven beak. Uh, people are calling him that. I don't know if they ever call him that in the game. Maybe your computer does one time, but you find out that Raven beak is your computer, uh, at a certain point in the story. And that's like, you're all big, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say a Bioshock reveal, but it's not. <laughs> would you it kindly earn right. it the way that Bioshock? Yeah. Would you kindly go and destroy the X parasites? Samus? Right. <laughs> um, it was, I don't know, story. It's like the only story moment in the game when you're suddenly like, oh, my robot is the villain. He's controlling my robot voice. Right. Okay. Well, I'm still going to continue with this quest. I was going to kill that guy anyway, you know? You see him in the first cutscene. You know he's going to be a boss later in the game. You know he's going to be a bad guy. So when he turn when it turns out that he is the bad guy, you're like, oh, okay, that doesn't change a whole lot, right? I got to say, so like you said, when I described the initial encounter with him earlier in the episode, uh, that robot bird creature that that is Ravenbeak. He's the leader of the warrior faction of the Chozo. 
based on my understanding of the lore. Um, and so, yeah, he, he <laughs> hands Samus her ass pretty early in the game. Um, and, and does end up being the, the ultimate, the ultimate boss that you fight at the end. He's pulling the strings of everything that's going on because he wants to extract the Metroid DNA from Samus who has it in her because she almost died from the X parasite and the Metroids happen to be the X parasites natural predator, but Samus killed all right. of them. I think that's how it happened. So yeah. Yep. Moving along from that. Right. Uh, I do like, uh, one thing that this game does with the story, right? So that beginning scene where you get your ass kicked by Ravenbeak, um, that reminds me a lot, and we've talked about this game before, that reminds me a lot of the start of Mega Man X, where you play that initial level, and Vile just comes down and kicks your ass. That kind of creates uh-huh. an emotional through line through the entire story, at least for me, because when that happens in both Metroid... Uh, I almost said Metroid X, Jesus. Metroid Dread and Mega Man X... That gives me an emotional through line. It's like, dude, I want to kick this guy's ass because he just humiliated me. Like, I, that that creates like a through plot for the entire story, and I, I personally appreciated mm-hmm. that very much. Uh, just kind of one kind of spoilery part of the story too. Kind of see that yeah. journey all the way through where you start this game getting destroyed by Ravenbeak, and then finally just getting the chance to and mastering his boss fight and just completely just kicking his ass. It feels so good. Yeah, it does, and that um. I guess uh, before we talk about that boss fight, there is the, I think there's a famous, famously difficult fight in this game where you fight those two Chozo warriors oh, yeah. at the same time. This uh, this is the one where like when I talk to people and they say like, I hate X about Metroid Dread, it's either I hate Emmys or I hate that double Chozo warrior fight. And Brutal. I had a very like dumb like kind of thought process with that like so i fought them those are su- they're super hard and i was like this fucking sucks like this is so much harder than anything else in the game i can't do this and then i i kind of like I, I maybe i even like put the game down and i was like doing something else around the house and i was thinking like is this did this game teach me something that i'm not remembering did i pick up an upgrade that I can use in this fight. And then I was like, oh shit, I just picked up the cluster missiles or the storm missiles as they call them oh, yeah. in the game. And so I went back in that room and I just like waxed them because I had a lot of like practice dodging their attacks. So I just like went in remembering that I had this new upgrade. And this is like totally my fault for forgetting that I just picked up an upgrade. But I don't know, maybe it's the game's fault for not making me use upgrades right. in boss fights a lot of a lot of times. But that was a full like I fucking hate this. Oh wait, I'm stupid. <laughs> I just picked up an upgrade. Then I'll go like just completely destroy them. Uh, but I don't know. A, a lot of people don't like those one-on-one Chozo warrior fights, and I thought those were pretty fun. They they're the closest thing to like a Hollow Knight Death's Gambit, like good good two D boss fight. Uh, you know, I enjoyed those. I I thought they were really good too because it gives you the satisfaction of mastering essentially your abilities to fight them and mastering their moves and i thought every yeah i left every encounter with them even the ones where i almost or nearly died just feeling really good that i had overcome them so i thought the chozo warriors uh specifically were a really great example of a great boss or mini boss or whatever they ended up being uh in, in this story uh and then especially when you have the twist in the end when about halfway through the game when 
you go to uh what is the middle area it's like Ferenia or something like that and you open up the fortress and all the hex oh God, come out the names so then <laughs> when you fight the chosen warriors they have that extra like halfway through the fight you get them to half health they turn into this like parasitic monstrosity that kind of changes the way that fight happens so you fought all these chosen warriors and you're used to fighting them a certain way and then all of a sudden the game then slightly varies the way you approach that fight to keep it fresh it's a natural progression you fight one of them as its own boss fight and it's like a big thing and then they pop up a few times as like mini bosses and then you've shown that you can beat that and then it's like okay now you're going to fight two of them at the same time Remember to use that storm missile, you idiot, right. Dave. Uh, <laughs> um, then after that, yeah, the the final boss against uh, Ravenbeak, I thought was very good, like surprisingly good, because I didn't, I don't like the Crade boss fight. I think that kind of sucks. That big spider fight, I thought was way too. You had to be way too perfect. When I was, you know, dancing around that earlier in the episode, it was that spider boss. Oh yeah. I felt you have to execute perfectly for a long time. So I like I went into the final boss with very low expectations, but I thought the final boss is really good. I agree. I think that fight with Ravenbeak and just kind of looking at looking back and knowing that that is like the final boss fight of this Metroid Samus saga like whatever we're calling it. Uh yeah. it, it's a great send-off and just learning kind of how to deal with all his moves and then having several sections of that cinematic parry where you parry him and then just get to unload missiles on him. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. he's, God, he's such like a heavy metal boss too. Like halfway through the fight, he popped, he like pulls his armor off and pops out his wings. And then you go through that phase (laughs) where he's like flying around in the air, right? And then if you get him down more health, he like lands because one of his wings broken and he just pulls off his wing from like his body. And you're just like, oh shit. (laughs) <laughs> like this guy yeah, things got real this is, dude's ripping off body parts. this guy's not messing around uh and then just to have the the ultimate reveal which has kind of been building up in this story right you kind of see it towards like one of the second to last or last emmys that samus is starting to manifest this ability to like absorb energy or something which is something yeah. the metroids are known for which is like they're their whole shtick is like why they could eat the X parasite. They could absorb energy. Like that's what they did. And now she's starting to do this and to finally have that culmination and figure out that's where they've gone with this story is like Samus is like the Metroid now. And it comes out in such yeah. a spectacular way where she basically like absorbs Ravenbeak's face and gets this sick suit of Metroid armor that almost looks like it's out of yeah. doom. I, I was gonna say she looks like a she looks like the Doom Slayer uh, or something so like that. So badass. That that whole ending, yeah. like if we're talking about like iconic video game endings for, or like ending sagas or series or whatever, like that's that's a great way to do it. And then of course you have to have the like every Metroid game, the classic uh the world is exploding, you have to get off of it, right? Yeah. Of course. And yeah, I'm not a huge fan of those escape sequences in the other games, like they're never that hard, mm-hmm. but I always, I, I usually fail them, you know, once or, once or twice, and I have to, like, go redo it. This one, though, you're, like, super empowered. You're, like, blowing walls apart and stuff. You are, uh, you're, like, the ultimate badass escaping this. And it was, like you said, it's really, really empowering, and uh, it ends up being really fun, where a lot of those other escape sequences are, they're not super fun. You're just kind of, like, 
okay, jumping up these platforms, you know, like uh, the one in Zero Mission. Um, well, it's the first game, so their first crack at it, mm. you know. Uh, anyway, the point is that that final escape sequence was really fun. I enjoyed that a lot. And yeah, that that armor is super badass. And like, I wish I could post pictures of it without being a spoiler because people would be like, whoa, what the fuck is <laughs> yeah, that? Right. Like, when do I get that armor? Maybe next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. If I could... Yeah, any... Uh, go ahead. I did have one final thought, uh, just kind of about the story yeah. in general, and I wanted to see if you kind of felt the same way. So um, I, a well-thought-out like thought out story, like we said, isn't something that Metroids are like well-known for. So especially mm-hmm. in Super Metroid, like in Super Metroid, not to com- do the exact thing that I said I hate people do is compare this game to Super Metroid. Uh, but Super Metroid, I think biggest strength is like communicating that story through like the gameplay and the atmosphere and stuff like that. Whereas dreads a little more black and white about how they deliver story to you. Um, that's why I called the Adam AI, the exposition robot. Cause it seems like every time you go and visit him, mm-hmm. he's just drops big chunks of exposition. And he's like, Oh, by the way, I figured out this guy's Ravenbeak and he is part of this tribe and such and such and blah, 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 blah. And you're like reading text for five minutes and, the same thing too with the kind of big exposition drop in the middle of the story when you meet the other Chozo. I think it's called Quiet Robe, and he's part of like the scholarly Chozo. Oh right, and the nice one. Yeah, and he like the that cutscene is just like a ten minute like just lore dump on you about everything that's going on, and it's just it's a lot of big like exposition chunks like kind of weirdly spaced throughout the game that I feel kind of breaks up the momentum and the pace of like the exploration and the gameplay. And I, I mean, I understand that it's, this hasn't like really been done in the Metroid game before, like storytelling like this, but I just felt they just was dropped infusion. chunks of it in Fus- there for, and it just kind of messed up the pacing of the game a little bit. That's just kind of how I felt. That's one of the big criticisms of fusion is because fusion has these huge, info dumps too in the same way so like yeah i honestly i think i skip through a lot of the dialogue because i got i think i got to a point where i was like this is not interesting i don't care so i like would like take a quick look like does at a quick glance does this look interesting if not i'm not going to sit here for 15 seconds and listen to the robot voice tell me what's on this screen right now I don't know. I in, On one hand, I kind of appreciate how you see the final boss at the beginning. He fucks everything up. You see in the middle, you meet the nice Chozo, but the final boss, or is it Ravenbeak that kills the nice one? It's... Somebody kills him. Something like that. And then he becomes an axe. Someone kills him. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know. I kind of appreciate a little bit more direct storytelling than in Zero Mission, I'll say. Uh, but it's not interesting enough for me to really care right uh in zero mission or in dread i don't care what tribe this dude is from (laughs) and i don't care the backstory of this planet it's just not interesting i really value more like those lonely exploration moments uh in these games so like yeah i guess i prefer the older way of doing it but like I do I do appreciate a little bit more direct storytelling and even a lot of games that I really love do super indirect storytelling 
like Dark Souls, for example. But I don't pick up on the story in Dark Souls. That's not what I love about those games. It's just that that's the way they do it. So I don't know. I kind of like, as you said, going through the whole game, knowing that Raven Beak is out there. He's you're going to come up against him sometime. I do enjoy that kind of thing in the back of your head, but those minute-to-minute exposition dumps, I could not care less about what he's saying most of the time. And it's just like how many times I felt like halfway through the game, like at a point where you should have a pretty good understanding of all the mechanics and stuff, that the Adam computer is still telling me, hey, make sure you use your phantom cloak to get away from the Emmys. It's like, I know I've killed four of them already. Like, leave, stop Yeah, that's, stop that's Nintendo me. for you. <laughs> like, stop telling me that. That's a, yeah. Well, I was going to say, that's a, that's a Zelda thing that they got away with. Like, hey, Link, did you know if you, uh, if you press B, you'll swing your sword? <laughs> it's like, like, shut up, Navi. <laughs> leave me alone. Had so. the sword for a while now. I figured that out. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That seems like a Nintendo thing, but I do have um, one other story point I want I want to make too. Um, sure. So during one of those big ex- like big exposition dumps is actually one of my uh, probably my favorite scene in the whole game. Uh, it's when the nice ch- scholarly Chozo Quiet Robe is telling you about the history of the Chozo and blah blah blah, Ravenbeak, lots of proper nouns and all that all that fun stuff, and he mm-hmm. basically tells you, hey, like. We need to stop Ravenbeak. We need to kill this dude. And Samus, who is a mostly all, all pretty much all the time silent protagonist, except for other M, but we're not counting that because that game was a disaster. Uh, <laughs> she speaks her only line of dialogue in the game, and it's in the Chozo language. And she pretty much tells Quiet Robe, she's like, I'll, it, "Like I'll end this. Like I'll, I'll, I'll finish this." And mm-hmm. that's her only spoken line of dialogue in the entire game. And to me, I was just like, holy shit. That was such a badass moment for her to just deliver that single line of dialogue and for her voice actress to be like, yeah, I was the voice actress that delivered the one single line of dialogue, uh, except for her like screaming towards language. the end of the game, which I guess yeah. you can count as voice work. But uh, I just felt that was such like she's a woman of few words. So for her to use words in a native language that she grew up speaking to like say i'm gonna i'm gonna end this was just it spoke so much to her character in so many little words it was just i never experienced anything like that in a game where it's just a character that is the silent protagonist and that dialogue isn't (laughs) used for them uh like it's just it was a stunning stunning scene like just imagine like, you know, Mario with all his wahoos and stuff doesn't say anything else. And then he just tells a toad, like, when Princess Peach gets captured, it's like, I'll finish this. He's <laughs> just like, damn, Mario, yeah. that's that's stone cold. But <laughs> I just, I really love that scene. <laughs> Bowser kidnapped the princess. I will destroy him. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah, the like, only thing Mario says. <laughs> like, damn, Mario, that's like, that's stone. And Luigi looks over and is like, dude, that's that's dark. We, we cart with this guy on yeah. the weekends. We don't want to <laughs> kill him. Like, <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, that was like my only other really powerful scene that I really enjoyed. Yeah, super, uh, super cool and unexpected. Like, uh, like when Silent Bob talks in a you know <laughs> a Kevin Smith movie, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it's all it always stands out, and it's always a little bit more profound and cool just because that character literally has not said anything for the entire movie up until that point. So, yeah, that was kind of cool. Um, 
just a little extra characterization for like how badass Samus is. And I, I didn't mention, this is the story of this podcast, as I've said many times, but something I wanted to mention for the non-spoiler people, but I forgot, like all of those elevator rides and other animations, uh, Samus is so cool and badass and collected during those. She's always like very relaxed, but at the same time, like, you know, ready. Uh, the, I guess the animation and the way that they put the character models in those scenes uh, really go a lot to give her characterization, I guess. And then, yeah, that one scene you talked about where she, I'm <laughs> imagining her with a uh, Ivan Drago. Um, <laughs> I will, I will break. I would him break like he, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a good moment for sure. In a in a game that has a lot of exposition but very few cool moments i would say that that is a good moment Mm. for sure so what do you say we wrap this up dude uh i'm yeah i'm perfectly fine with that i don't think i have anything else to say in regards to, to story stuff so yeah yeah cool well once again thank you so much for coming on the show we had this in the works for a long time i've been looking forward to a uh, this for a long time and it definitely delivered so thanks again for coming on the show this has been a blast uh, dave thanks for having me i have been a fan since the very first episode and so to come on is um it, i still find it kind of crazy this this podcasting world i find myself in and just meeting all these incredible people like you to just just hey you want to get on a video call and just talk about video games for two hours and then put it out for people to listen i think that's such a cool concept and uh yeah, you have for sure. you have such a such a great show and play. You've introduced me just by listening to your show. So many games uh, that I I don't think it would ever have been on my radar. So to come on and contribute is is that's super cool. That's the circle of life on Tales from the Backlog. I take a game out of my backlog and I put it into yours. That's, <laughs> and, uh, and thus that's the cycle goes here. on, and the industry makes infinite money. <laughs> yep, I'll start getting a cut one of these days for sure. But yeah, dude, it's uh it's been it's been really great. Like, um, the show started with me bringing on my friends and other people I know who are not podcasters to talk about games. And I obviously still have a good ratio of people who are not podcasters, but it's been great as this show has been continuing to go to get other podcasters on and kind of, you know, spread each other's shows and just kind of share the love. It's been a really good, uh, community that I didn't expect when I started podcasting. I was the same way, and I, because I was like, well, first of all, no one's just going to listen to me put out garbage. I just thought that wasn't going to happen. And then second of all, yeah, because most of the stuff you hear from video game communities is just that people just hate each other so much. And to yeah. to find uh, just a group of relatively like-minded people, uh, uh, and I think that's been the great thing, too, is that um, we we all love this thing so much, but everybody loves different games and different things about it. Uh, and we might disagree with each other on things that we like, but we don't like crucify each other for it. Be like, oh, well, you know, Dave, you talk bad about Final Fantasy IX, so you fuck yourself. Like, we don't, we just, we don't do that to each other. It's like, we, we respect each other. And I, I, that's, that's been, uh, the most surprising part, I think, because, you know, people on the internet can be very mean. So, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, you said if, um, you said if you, you weren't expecting people to listen to the garbage that you put out, but if you did put out actual garbage, nobody would listen. <laughs> so your show is 
for sure not this garbage. Is, it's very good, and it's it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. For I, sure. I, I appreciate that. I just I have to self deprecate myself because I don't take compliments very well, so I have to I have to balance <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah, I I totally understand. So everybody, thank you for listening. Once again, go check out the Side Questing podcast and the Unlockables. Check the episode description for links to that stuff. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time to see the next game that comes out of my backlog. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 